And now, here is part two of episode 123. When you wish upon a mom. But it wasn't no, a one, no. so that's good. Was it a two? No. <laughs> so I rolled a six. So yeah, if the plus six roll. is 12, plus eight is 20. Plus, plus your bonus whatever for being. You're giving him. So I have worshiper of death. As far as I know, it's a 20. It's plus whatever else bonuses. What's I won't the tell bonus? you the bonuses and I won't tell the DC. Oh my gosh. Faven, like, does this little ritual. And give me, like, a little prayer to Desna real quick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, come on. Right off the top <clears throat> of your head. Improbable prayer. Prayer to Desna. So, um, Faven, he begins chanting almost. And he begins, like, a weird, almost random dance on the top of this tower. And as he's doing so, he's kind of listing off different stars in the heavens. Uh, and as he's, after he names all the stars, he says, Desna, goddess of travel, she who watches over us at this time, song of the spheres, hear us now as we Come to thee. Bless this place. Mighty traveler, it is dedicated to you, and we ask that you travel back here as you travel everywhere. And as we have traveled here, we ask this of you now. Says that. Faven finishes the prayer and the stones around you begin to illuminate and glow brighter and brighter. And you see the temple almost like revert back in time as the stones look like they might have when they first were dropped off at this will deliver to this temple brought here by worshippers of Desna. They, like the effects of time and weather seem to go away. We see the butterfly mosaic on the floor below return to its former beauty. The plant life around the area, except for the stuff that Faven grew in honor of Desna, becomes more well-kept. And the stones themselves grow brighter and brighter until you can't keep your eyes open anymore. And you shield your eyes, close them, and when you reopen your eyes, you find that you have transported. And you find yourselves in the middle of this beautiful clearing. What? Okay. Surrounded by trees. There's light fog that rolls in, swirls around your feet. And as you look around, you start to see butterflies. So we're standing in a clearing standing now. standing in a clearing right not now. Not on the tower. Not on the, not on the tower anymore. Okay. 
and these butterflies begin flying and fluttering. They land on the fingers, shoulders, and heads of the four of you. And for the briefest of moments, you all feel very giddy. And you begin laughing like that scene at the end of The Lord of the Rings <laughs> when the hobbits reunite and they're like super happy to see all their friends again. That's kind of what I picture right now. You're all just very happy for a moment. The audience and, like, pleads that Gimli is not actually going to jump onto Frodo's bed. <laughs> I remember thinking that. Like he looks like he's going to run for the bed like Merry and Pippin did. Like, no, Gimli, you're like 800 pounds. <laughs> You, uh, a couple of you extend your fingers, and butterflies land on them. And then from behind Faven, you notice this beautiful Varesian woman emerge from the trees. She's wearing bright colors, and this blue scarf is draped around her neck. Her feet are bare and she silently glides across the clearing floor. <laughs> and you don't even hear her as she approaches. Faven doesn't even notice and is caught by surprise as she touches his shoulder as she passes by him. Now, the quickest way to give me a massive head and inflate my narcissistic ego is to let me play a god. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn the microphone over to Emily. Oh my. Ooh, <laughs> no. Oh, Emily. Emily's a god. Is this Desna? It's not even like a messenger. It's actually it's Desna. It's actual Desna? That's amazing that not having a cleric among us that we're able to actually communicate with Desna. That's, That's pretty, pretty mind cool. pretty mind blowing. I think this is the first time I've ever heard of this kind of event happening in an adventure. It's monumental. That's and why I'm here. It's very special. <laughs> so she <laughs> she walks past Faven, touches his shoulder, and then stops in the middle of the four of you, and you're all facing her at this at the moment. Hello, Faven, Parad, Min, and Ray. That's my name. That's my name. I know that you all have been through so much, and I am happy to welcome you into my company. If you only to allow you a moment to rest before continuing your travels. Is who are you? Where are we? You know who I am. I have always been there. The fluttering of a butterfly the moonlight shining down in the middle of the night, are, watching over you. Are you, are, are, are you actually Desna? Yes. Uh, Parad, uh, just in utter shock in this moment, uh, kneels in front yeah, of this Yeah, I was gonna say, lady. I think I would kneel too, just because of the amazement of it all. I would feel that I need to give you respect. And he's going to um, to speak to her a little bit and say, Tisna, I, I fear I am not worthy to remain in your presence. I thank you humbly that you allow me to view you in this manner. No, Parad. It is I who am humbled in all of your presences. 
watching your travels and journeys has really inspired and enlightened me. Hmm. And I have seen moments from your past, moments that haunt your dreams, turning them into nightmares. There are moments in your past that you have tried to run from. As she says this, she walks over to Parad and she like puts her hand under his chin, pulls upward and makes him stand once again. And we see, and then she, she, she steps behind him as we see a vision unfold in the center of the clearing. And it's almost like the four of you occupy the same space as this vision, but you're not able to interact with it. You are merely witnesses. Parad, I have seen things you have regrets. And we see in the middle of a desolate forest, far away in the vast stretch of land that is known as Belkson, we hear the pained cries of a man. We see this man bound to a tree, bruised and beaten within the inch of his life. He's howling in pain at the injuries that have been inflicted upon him. Standing in front of him, we see Parad. For a brief moment, there is silence, and then Parad speaks. How many times are you going to make me ask such a simple question? You would think that such a high-ranking man such as yourself would have some answers for me. But seeing as you keep giving me the runaround, I suppose we'll just have to continue. Off to the side, we see a second half-orc bearing a familiar great axe, watching the events taking place before him. This orc has always been less skilled in the ways of interrogation, so he chose to let Parad take the reins in this particular instant. He approaches and says, Parad, I understand what you are trying to accomplish, but it seems this maggot won't be telling us anything. What is your point, Krodzak? And I hope you have a good reason for interrupting me so abruptly. What I'm trying to get at here is that maybe the two of us are inadequate in this situation. Perhaps his tongue will be loosened if we bring him in front of the wrath of our hordes back at camp. I'm sure the less refined ways of doing things will make him spill his guts. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> With a knowing look, Prod glances at Krodzak. And in that second, they speak to each other better than they ever could with words. Perhaps it is the many years of training together or the years of field experience that both of them have had coming to the surface. But in that instance, they both know exactly what the other is planning. Perhaps you are right. We alone might not be enough to make him talk, but the thousands of bloodthirsty orcs under our command might have the capabilities. Plus, I believe it should be pride, uh, it should provide quite the show after our long travels. Don't you agree? The man bound to the tree suddenly gets a very terrified look on his face. No, no! P please, don't give me those animals! I'll tell you, alright! I'll, I'll tell you everything! A smirk appears on the faces of both half-orcs as he says this. One of pride, 
as they have finally broken their prey. I'm glad you've finally come around. Now tell me, where did you take the helmet? Who did you give it to? And remember to be as detailed as possible. The man looks back and forth at Parad and Krodzak. Hi, I don't know the exact whereabouts of the helmet. However, the man I delivered it to is a different story. He is an up-and-coming necromancer from the city of Kermaga. He deals in the creation of undead creatures. The people of the city refer to him as the only capable rival of Horus Ilkatya. That's all well and good, but I need more. Why does a necromancer require the helm? I have no idea why he wanted it. All I know is that he told me to obtain it for him, and then he paid a hefty price for me to do so. I couldn't care less about his intentions. I'm just a hired hand with no knowledge of the situation. Fine. So you don't know the reason, but I, re I still require a name. And fair warning, if I catch even a whiff of lies, we'll be making a trip to our friends in Belkson to see what they have to say about all of this. The only name I got from him is Yolazar. I don't know if that is his real name or not. However, I have heard people call him the Nightmare. And the stories I've heard make him seem to be just that. I've also heard that he is close to becoming a political official soon. Supposedly, he's also capable of tampering with people's minds. I've heard that he can take control of those he chooses to inflict his torture upon. I don't know, but perhaps that is how he has managed to climb the political ladder. I regret telling you all of this because I fear what he might do to me if he discovers that I spoke to you. With a slight chuckle, Parad turns to his partner, satisfied with the information that he has just received. He now speaks openly and truthfully in front of his victim. <laughs> you hear that, Krodzak? He thinks he's going to live long enough for this Eulazar to find him. I believe that's the most amusing statement I've heard in a long while. Off in the distance, we hear the howl of a wolf. And soon after, a large gray dire wolf approaches the group slowly. Indeed, Parod, that is quite amusing. Oh, did we forget to mention? We were never planning on releasing you. You know too much about who we are. We can't have that info floating around. We are meant to be secret special forces, after all. Please allow me to introduce you to our fine furry accomplice. We borrowed him from a mutual friend of ours, specifically for this mission. This here is Gripjaw, and the both of you are going to get to know each other very well. Shall we head back, Parad, and report what we have found to our leader? Indeed, Krodzak, let us depart. Until next time, my friend, I hope you enjoy the remainder of your night. After all, it will be your last in this world. With that, the two half-orcs walk away, allowing the wolf to finish their business. As the screams of the bound man are heard in the background and eventually are snuffed out, Prod begins to think about how they are going to proceed. As a slayer, he's become accustomed to treading the path of death. It has become a commonality in his life but since the formation of his team, the death has become increasingly more prominent. 
that is to be expected with the presence of a second slayer. As any person could tell you, with two individuals specialized in killing, the death count is sure to double. But this is just the beginning of the task they face ahead of them, one they must begin working on immediately if they ever hope to finish. The scene unfolding in front of you disappears and you're left again in this clearing. And then Desna walks over to Faven. I have seen the things that you regret, Faven. She touches Faven on the shoulder again, standing behind him. And we see another vision unfold in front of the four of you in the middle of this clearing. Far north from Uslav, over the mountains and across the hold of Belksin, to the land of the Norm Kings, we see a massive forest enter our view. This is the Grungir Forest, and its depths are a mystery to most of the civilized world. Your vision starts to descend slowly into the tree line, and we find ourselves in a small village. We see many gnomes walking about, going about their lives at a very leisurely pace. For the gnomes of this forest are strangers to the bleaching that haunts gnomes of elsewhere. This alien idea is because this forest is special. It houses many, many fae and hides portals to the first world. This close connection to the gnome's ancestral home blesses them from the bleaching sickness. Many other fae are also seen in this village. Dryads, grigs, nymphs, and pixies all living in harmony with the gnomes of this place. We then see the inside of a small tavern and a few gnomes and fae are scattered about, but our field of vision lands on that of Faven. He sits very relaxed in the corner, feet up on a nearby stool. He lifts his hand, waving it over a flower that sits on his table, and we see it perk back up and, and life fills the flower once again. As he nourishes this flower, a gnome approaches his table and pulls up a chair. Faven, you're back! It's so good to see you, my friend! Hey, Fe hey, Fez. It has been some time, my dear friend. Did you manage to find the forest heart this time? <sighs> Not quite. Imava Jana has kept me away yet again with her tricks. Fez smiles at the mention of this name. Oh yes, the guardian of Forest Heart is a cunning one for sure. That nymph will be the death of me one day. As Faven says this, we hear what sounds like a church bell sounding from a tower somewhere in this village. Fez and Faven both jump to their feet looking out a nearby window. The humans! They must be back! Hurry, Fez. Faven shouts this as he rushes through the open tavern door towards the sound of this bell. Faven flies through the trees as fast as he can, knowing that the humans are here to steal from this sacred place. As he approaches the edge of the forest, he is met with a grisly sight. A deadly battle 
has begun between the men and the forest itself. Dead bodies of fae, gnomes, and humans cover the ground as blood stains the earth beneath them. Faven's mind snaps, and he becomes very angry. How could they do this? With that thought, he jumps into the fight, and with a blind rage, he begins turning into more plant than elf, seemingly throwing the forest itself at these human attackers, impaling them to trees, causing plants to literally grow through their bodies. And at the peak of his anger, Faven begins to draw in as much power as he possibly can, drawing on the strength of the forest. His body begins to shake from holding on to this much force. And with one last furious blast, he unleashes death upon the remaining humans. Faven looks to see the last one fall, and his heart sinks. Behind the last human stands Fez, impaled by Faven's last blast. His eyes are wide as he clutches his chest. His blood begins to pool through his fingers. Faven, with tears in his eyes, rushes to his friend, cradling his head in his hand as the light leaves this, the gnome's eyes. And now we're back in the clearing again. I have seen a time in your life that made you feel betrayed. She walks behind Min. She brushes his hair. And in the middle of the clearing, we see another vision unfold. On a windy cliffside, Min appears alone in the tattered remains of a campsite. He stares out over the edge, distraught at something far below. The wind begins to blow his long hair wildly around his haggard and dirt-stained face. And near his feet, we see a small leather-bound book with a sinister-looking rune on its cover. It resembles a gate or an archway, but rather than scrawled on the cover, the rune is embossed with fragments of bleached white bone. A pair of black boots touch down on the ground behind Min, and we learn that he's not alone. Well, that was easier than expected. Thank you for your help. What have you done? Min turns back to look at this other figure on the cliff. A thin man dressed head to toe in black. His long, dirt-colored hair is being swept in front of his pale face like a veil. Min's gaze is one of pure horror. It wasn't supposed to be like this. It was my first job. My first adventure. And what an adventure it's been. We were supposed to save her. I believe your job was to get the book. The adventure captain said nothing about its current owner. Why so surprised? Remember what I told you when you were a starving gutter child? When you have magic, you can take whatever you want. Isn't that what you came here to do? No. 
My magic is good. Magic is magic. There is no good. But I'm good. I'd never do what you just did. You sure about that? No. What you did was ugly and mean and... You're a monster. No, my lovely. I'm a witch. And so are you. No. I could never be like you. Beneath a curtain of windswept hair, the man in black flashes a grin of crooked teeth. If that's true, then why are you so afraid? I'm afraid of you. The man steps closer to Min and for the first time his hair parts and his entire face can be shown. Above the sinister grin are a pair of mismatched eyes. His right eye is pale blue, but the left is green and inhuman with a slitted pupil. You're lying, my lovely. Min can say nothing in response. How do you argue with someone who can literally see your heart? In any case, I'll be taking that book now. Min looks from the man to the book and then back again as pieces finally come together. You were never here to help me. Like I said, magic gets you whatever you want. You can't. It has to go to the archives. You don't even know what it is. I've seen what it can do. I'm a dark archivist in the employ of the Magnamar Lodge of the Pathfinder Society, and I'm here to keep that book from falling into the wrong hands. And how exactly do you plan to stop me when you're afraid of your own power? Min's eyes remain locked with the man's mismatched gaze for only a moment before he dives for the book. At the same instant, the man dives as well, but Min is closer. And the moment the halfling's fingers grasp the spine of the book, a strange gust of supernatural wind envelops him. His hair writhes in an ethereal breeze on his own. The man lunges to grab him by the arm, but his bony, pale fingers glide straight through Min. The halfling's body appears to shimmer in and out, a shaky, unstable image. What's happening? I don't know. You're here, but you're not here. It's like your existence is slipping in and out of time. You're not strong enough for this level of power yet. It must be the book. You're channeling its magic to empower yourself. So you're saying... You can't touch me. Knowing Min's mind, the man smiles condescendingly. But his grin can't hide the unbridled rage in his mismatched eyes. I suppose not. You can leave with your prize, and I can do nothing to stop you. So congratulations. You're finally figuring out how this works, little witch. The man laughs in the halfling's face. <laughs> and the air around Min begins to shimmer in a vibrating aura until he blinks out of the scene. His destination? The Magnamar Pathfinder Lodge. And far away from everything he's seen and heard today, but the other's witch's cackle follows him along, long after he leaves him standing alone on that cliff. <laughs> the scene fades away. 
And you're all standing in the clearing once again. And you, you are the most curious to me. Memories and dreams colliding. Two individuals fighting for control. Until one day, the fighting stopped. And I saw you at your weakest. A time in your life you never wish to return to. Desna walks behind Ray, places a hand on her shoulder, and at her touch, a fourth vision appears in, the, in front of all of you. We see a bird's eye view of a gorgeous estate. Servants are milling about waiting and hoping for good news. The scene changes to that of a bed surrounded by a physician, his assistants, and various other servants. A man stands to one side of the bed near the headboard, holding the hand of a woman lying on the bed who is currently giving birth. Sweat beads her forehead, and with one final effort, the cry of an infant is heard. But the faces of those in the room remain tense as if waiting for more. Congratulations, Lord and Lady Pontius. The gods have smiled upon you today and blessed your household with a beautiful girl. All eyes turn to look at the Lord and Lady of the house. A girl? The physician steps towards Lady Pontius to allow her a moment with her child, but Lady Pontius refuses. I do not wish to hold it at this time. However, as is tradition, we must commence with the revelation. At the mention of this, the servants begin sharing glances with each other. Their faces remain tense. The physician has done this several times and is used to the customs of this family. With long strides, the physician walks to a table and ha walks to a table that has a blanket laid out onto its surface. He gently places the baby on the cloth and extracts a small syringe from within his medical bag, as well as a curious-looking substance in a glass vial. He extracts a small amount of blood from the child and injects it into the vial of, sub of the substance, swirling it about to combine with the contents. Waiting a few moments, he turns back to the Lord and Lady. I apologize to both of you. But it seems that your child does not possess the bloodline. At the mention of this, the servants gasp in subdued horror, as they have realized the fate of this child. For being a disappointment in this family is similar to a death sentence. But no, the child would not die, so that she would be treated as if she did not exist. And as the years passed by, the child would become an outsider in her own home being forced to play the part of a doting child when company was present, being clothed and fed in order to better play the role assigned to her. But the child would never truly be part of this family. For in this family, fantastical power was sought after and even paid for quite handsomely. Some time passes and we see the child has grown into a toddler. We see the abuse and neglect plainly in the way the child is treated. 
We see the child seated on the floor, scribbling on a piece of paper that had been stolen for her by the head kitchen maid. A ball rolls across the floor towards her, and with excitement, she clumsily picks it up and teeters off in the direction that it had come from and runs headlong into her older brother. What have I told you about playing with my things? You are not to touch them. Now give me my ball. With a flash, the young boy grows claws on his hand and digs them deep into his sister's arm. With a cry, the girl drops the ball and turns to run away from her brother. Scared and afraid and lonely, with blood on her arm, the girl runs to her mother. The one place she naively thinks she will be safe. What now, girl? I don't have time for you and your crying. Martha! A portly woman enters the room. Take this thing away from me. I do not want it around. It is giving me a headache. We have Lord and Lady Basilis coming for dinner tonight. Please take it and get it cleaned up for dinner later. Yes, my lady, as you wish. With that, Martha leaves the room, and when she is out of earshot of Lady Pontius, begins bouncing and cooing the small child. Several years pass, and the girl is now in her preteen years. Martha! The bulbous nose and wispy gray hair of the head maid turn towards the girl that has just entered the kitchen. Martha truly admired the strength of the raven-haired and green-eyed child she saw before her. The Lord Lady and Maximilius will be returning today. Oh, I wish they did not have to come home. I wish, I wish with all my heart that they should stay away so the two of us could go on pretending to be our own little family. I pop it, what a dreamer you is, but I loves you for it. Now help me prepare the dinner so as to please these folks of yours. The two get to work right away. I want you to remember something, Puppet. I ain't pretending to be your family. You special to me, and I never want you to forget it. Martha throws a pinch of flour in the girl's face, and the child squeals with delight. Her laughter is cut short, however, as footsteps are heard from the hallway outside the kitchen. The door is thrown open as the Lord and Lady enter the kitchen, followed shortly after by their son, Maximilius. How dare you disobey us? Any member of the house of Pontius must conduct themselves appropriately at all times. And that means leaving it alone. And he gestures his hand toward the small girl at the mention of it. You were warned of the consequences. And now you must face them. The girl and the headmaid are suddenly held fast in place by a spell that has no doubt been cast by Lady Pontius. Maximilius, do me the favor and dispatch of the headmaid. Let us teach it a lesson. Maximilius silently steps forward with an evil spark in his beautiful violet eyes. As his steps guide him closer to Martha, he raises his hand and his vicious claws grow from his fingertips as he rams them into Martha's chest and through her heart the spell holding the girl in place does not even allow the scream trapped in her throat to escape oh dear husband 
It seems I'm going to have to start the interview process for a new head maid. How tedious. Tears begin forming at the corners of the girl's eyes as this scene fades away and we find ourselves in the clearing once again. I feel like I can't breathe. <laughs> this, is a, this is a lot. Four flashbacks. <laughs> it was very draining. <laughs> it's just a lot. It's just a lot of emotion right now. You have all been through so much to get here. But it is time for me to remind you of your hopes. The first thing we see in the clearing after these four visions have just been shown to all of you is that of Parad. An old man Parad, gray hair, and a, you know, a bigger, more filled out belly. And he lets out this Santa boistery, Claus yeah, Santa Claus Parad, <laughs> Santa fat. Parad. You let yourself go, dude. Yeah. <laughs> just That's a, your dream. Just a fat old man Logan is what I'm picturing. Here. <laughs> A fat green old man. Yeah. And Parad lets out this boisterous, almost Santa Claus-like laugh. Give me your best old man Parad laugh, Zachary. Ooh, okay. <laughs> this is exciting. Parad doesn't laugh very much, does he? No, he doesn't. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Just laugh, Zachary. Come to this amazing laugh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he is sitting in a very comfortable-looking armchair, and he looks like he's just loving life. And from behind him, we see his sister emerge. She is also much older, and the two of them seem very happy, for they are a family after all. And what does Parad want more than a family? The next vision we see is that of Faven. We see this woman, someone we haven't seen before, but Faven recognizes her as his sister. And the two of them embrace. And Faven feels happy and tears begin filling his eyes as he witnesses this moment he's wished and hoped for all his life to unfold in front of him. For he has found his sister. And she is by his side. But this is just a dream. These are just Faven's hopes and wishes. The scene fades away and Faven reaches out a hand and tries to grasp it, tries to hold on to it, keep it close to him, but is unable to do so. The next thing we see is Min, surrounded by those he has lost, his mother, his father, his sister. And the joy you all feel while watching this scene gives you all hope, makes you feel a little bit happier for a moment. Min falls to his knees as the scene fades away. He too wishing that it could stay and last just a little bit longer. 
When we started this show, I didn't know the themes that we would have. One of the biggest themes on this show is the importance of family. And that family drives people to do things, our characters to do things that ordinary people might not do. But the last vision, the last hope we see is a stark contrast to the ones that have come before. And we see Ray. But something about this image makes it fuzzy, makes it blurry. What looks like could be a human woman at times also looks like a female gnome. Like images are popping in and out. It's very blurry. It's very distorted. But one thing is very clear as we see whoever this person is take her seat on a throne. A very regal, high-backed throne. And a crown is placed atop her head. And the three of you are so distracted by what has come before that you don't notice Ray standing in the clearing as she smiles just a little bit bigger at the side of this. This final hope fades away and Desna once again enters the center of the clearing standing in the middle of the four of you. The road in front of you is a difficult one, filled with danger, heartache, and suffering. But as I show you what is yet to come, you must keep in your mind your hopes, your dreams. More visions begin to unfold in front of you, as the four of you see the vision of a pale-skinned man wearing a bone breastplate standing in front of a ruined tower commanding the dead to do his bidding. Quickly the scene changes to that of a great sea. Deep beneath its waves a horrifying tentacled monstrosity with massive tree-sized legs inside of a glass-domed laboratory. The scene changes once again, and we see a grizzled old man in armor wielding a very large greatsword. A very tall human woman built like an ox wielding a very large scythe. We see a dwarven sorcerer controlling a flaming sphere. You see a portly, bald cleric with a bushy mustache clutching a decorative dagger with the symbol of Ferozma oh on it. My. And lastly, we see a young man with beastly animalistic characteristics. And this group is fighting a bunch of orcs. The scene changes again to that of a beautiful woman sitting atop a throne inside of a large underground stone cavern. She has dirty blonde hair. She's wearing tattered clothing. But the most prominent feature, that of two fangs from the upper row of teeth jutting out from her mouth. Scene changes again and we see a man dressed in all black 
with one human eye and what looks like the eye of a cat sitting at a desk writing some kind of letter. Scene changes again and we see a decaying lich atop a very tall spire with four large horns jutting out of his head, raising a fearsome-looking staff clutched tightly in his hands toward the dark, churning, lightning-filled clouds far above him. And the last thing you see causes all of you to gasp. Causes Parad to choke back a yell as we see the vision of Sig, Parad's father, with his long braided ponytail coming off the back of his head, wearing his uncharacteristic robes, standing in front of a massive army. A slave brings him what appears to be a helmet. He gently grabs it with only a few fingers and places the helmet on his own head. He raises his fists in the air and the army lets out a blood-chilling roar. He lowers his arms and the roaring continues. He turns to his right and what you all see in front of you causes Parad to fall to his knees again as we see Krodzak alive and well standing next to Parad's father. What the heck? Sig then turns and walks towards Parad in the clearing stares his son in the face as he gets down on one knee in front of Parad and then he smiles and the vision fades away. And all that remains is this beautiful clearing that you found yourself in. And you see Desna once again. Your lives and the lives of those who have fought this fight before you are so much more important than you realize. Your lives and destinies are bound together more than you have ever known. And staying on this path will show you just that. Our time together has come to an end. But as you leave this plane, take this gift and know that I will always be watching you from the stars. All of you receive a blessing from Desna that gives you a permanent plus one bonus to your wisdom or your charisma. What? Wow. Wisdom or charisma. You all close your eyes. They feel very heavy. And you're forced to close them. And when you reopen them, the clearing is gone. And the tower is once <sighs> again in its ruined state. The clearing, however is filled with the sound of birds and the breeze coming through the trees. And as you open your eyes and sit up, you all look into the eyes of each other and notice that they have been permanently changed to that of a silver color. Oh. What? Our eyes? Our eyes are all silver now. And you all level up. Yeah!
next week. Wait, we all have silver eyes? Yes. Oh my gosh. What is going on? Desna appeared? Why at this time? We are blessed now. Much is to come in our future. Come back next time.